Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Colin Haas Hill. Uh, getting closer to football season at Ohio State, uh, but the pads come on today. But today is the first day that Ohio State will be in full pads. Also, the first day of daily antigen testing at Ohio State. So uh, we're getting closer here. We, we, you you could feel it. Football season's coming. Yeah, it took me. It took you less than ten seconds to like melt my mind because I had a. We're recording this on a Tuesday, and I was like, "Wait a second, what day is it?" Because I knew that they put on pads Wednesday, but yeah, I think that I need to. I need to get worked into this the same way that Ohio State is going to work themselves into uh, getting contact during practices. So we're going to do our our long-awaited draft that I think we teased months ago uh, before the season got canceled, and then we just didn't do it. But we're going to do our long-awaited draft of the team where we're both going to draft uh, lineups, and then you guys will have a chance to vote on uh, who did the best job drafting those lineups. So we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. But we did want to hit first on some of our takeaways from the most recent Ohio State press conferences because uh, the actual today, Tuesday, we just talked to uh, Ohio State wide receivers and wide receivers coach Brian Hartline. And on Friday – uh, there was a press conference with the tight ends and Kevin Wilson. But truthfully, I think the two most interesting things that came out of those pressers weren't about the wide receivers or the tight ends. And, and one of those was that Trey Sermon and Master Teague, in, at least in Kevin Wilson's mind, he expects them to split the carries 50-50, at least to start the season. Then we also learned that Justin Fields is a vegan which to me, I, I, I didn't know that. I, I, he had said that he had totally changed his diet, but uh, that's a big, big change uh, to, to go to be in a, a vegan. And so I think that was probably my biggest takeaway from either of these pressers. And it's maybe not germane to anything about what to expect for the football season, but you know, we, we've seen some NFL quarterbacks, Tom Brady, Cam Newton have gone this route. Now Justin Fields is doing this as well because he thinks that it's going to help him uh, make his body better than ever and, and be an even better quarterback. I think one of my favorite things about that was that it was Kevin Wilson who revealed it because I don't ever think of Kevin Wilson as Mr. Vegan. But his wife all. is a vegan, so he, that's actually yes, why he, he revealed it. Uh-huh. No, it was perfect. It was perfect. And, like, it's so funny because, like, you don't really – like, when Justin Fields is coming back, you just sort of assume that he's going to be the same Justin Fields – maybe a little bit better in certain areas, but pretty similar um, in, in terms of who he is um, both on and off the field. And so it's, it's even funny where you get like a, a diet change, which, you know, it can be major, but at the same time, you don't, you don't expect it to, you know, drastically affect what someone is on the field. But even for Justin Fields, that felt like, like interesting big news for him because a lot of what we've said about Justin Fields is that he's going to be pretty similar to what he is last year. And you, you look for areas on the edge that he can improve. Yeah. I, I think to me, what it says more than anything, is just kind of another glimpse into just how important football is to Justin Fields and how singularly focused he seems to be on just being the best football player he can be. And I'm not, I'm not saying veganism is a way to go because I'm definitely not a vegan. Colin, I know you don't even eat vegetables, so I know you're not a vegan. <laughs> so uh, just throwing that out there, Dan, unbelievable. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, it was just a safe assumption to me that you are never going to be a vegan, but uh, so I'm not, it's I'm not fair. saying it's the way to go. I know people have their own opinions on it. I'll let you all have your own opinions, but I think the fact that he would commit 
to such a drastic lifestyle change just tells you how much this guy cares about being the best football player he can be and doing whatever he can. Because let's be honest, he doesn't need to do this. You just talked about it, Colin. This guy's already going to be a top pick in the NFL draft. He's already physically so gifted. He does. He doesn't need to do something like this to to get faster, to to recover better, whatever. But he's doing it because he believes it's going to give him some sort of advantage that he didn't have before. And and I think it's just a glimpse into that mindset for Justin Fields, where you know I I'm not saying this is cliche. I really do believe it that this guy just lives, eats, sleeps, and breathes football, and that he believes this is one more way that he can continue to better himself as a football player. Yeah. I don't know if you, if you read the story in the athletic from Bruce Feldman, but uh, what was interesting is that, you know, this just sort of started as like a family challenge, essentially that they were all, he and his, you know, his parents and his sister were going to go vegan for a month. And it turned out, you know, he sort of liked it and he felt that he had, he saw the benefits from it and just wanted to continue it. So I don't really know that we're ever going to be seeing him play football and be like, Oh, now I see why he went vegan. Like, I don't think we're ever going to say those words. So it's going to be, I don't, I don't know how much of an effect this actually has, but if we're going to say like, what, what, what are the most interesting things that we've learned about Ohio state since interviews started? That's right up there. Of one, two or three. You think we should do a 30 day real pod Wednesdays vegan challenge. Do you understand how difficult that would be for me? It'd be, it'd be difficult for me too. I mean, I probably should do it. Cause I could, I could afford to, improve my diet and lose a few pounds, but I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I have the discipline to do it. I think Justin Fields does, but I don't think I have the discipline to do it. Yeah. I, I'm seeing that you can find some workarounds, some cheats. So I'm going to be honest. I'm looking at the vegan food pyramid. I'd probably spend my time at the top of that pyramid rather than at the bottom. What's at the top of a pyramid? Um, <laughs> vegetable oil, vegetable oils and fats with some sweet salt spices and nuts. So that is where I'm going to be spending my time. I see some peanut butter in there too. Yeah. yeah I, was... I, I, could, I could work with the stuff on top if you're going to make me only eat the stuff on the bottom, which I imagine is probably where Justin Fields spends most of his time. We're going to have some issues. I'm definitely not a nutrition expert, but I do believe to, for a vegan diet to actually improve your health, you've got to eat the right kind of vegan foods. You can't just eat peanut butter all day, but I'd probably be <laughs> this right is, there. This is fair. This is I'd fair. probably be right there with you. Other interesting things that we learned beyond veganism, um, Trey Sermon and Master Teague, Kevin Wilson said, will at least begin the season or, or, or maybe begin preseason camp uh, with the idea that they're going to split um, carries, split reps 50-50. And I think that, you know, it, 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 it's, it's not too surprising to me. Um, but I think maybe more so than anything, the thing that it tells you is that Master Teague's good to go. Um, because I, I've sort of spent the last few months expecting that Trey Sermon is going to be the starter, uh, get the bulk of the carries with Master Teague also working in. And since Master Teague is healthy, I think that that allows them to sort of walk into the season with a 50-50 split. And you see if maybe one of those two guys takes control of the job early in the season, they get the bulk of the carries later in the year. But I think more than anything, the idea of them going into the year 50-50 just tells you that these guys are both healthy. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, I, I don't, I'm not as confident as I was 
a couple months ago about Trey Sermon being the starting running back. And that's not because I don't think he, he, he should, shouldn't be or anything. I mean, it, it sounds like he's doing great. We've seen some clips of him from practice. He looks great, but I noticed that every time his name comes up or every time the running backs come up, the coaches are always really quick to be masters doing great in his rehab, which, you know, t- tells me that like they have not given Trey Sermon the starting job by any means. So I, I believe Kevin Wilson, I think, you know, regardless of who's one and who's two, I think we are going to see a much more even split. And, you know, you wrote about it. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they divide that up. Cause I think we've talked about it a little bit in the past and we agree that, you know, like when they had JK Dobbins and Mike Weber, a lot of times they would just do one guy gets one series, one guy gets another series. I don't know if that's the best way to do it. And when I hear a, a quote like that from Kevin Wilson, I kind of think we're about to go right back to that. And I don't know if that's the right way to do it. So it's going to be interesting to see if there's a strategy there in terms of putting guys in the game at certain times, or if it just goes back to being a true series by series rotation. Yeah. It, you know, it was also something I picked up on when Kevin Wilson's talking about this, you know, he mentions, you know, in this day and age in college football, you want to have two running backs shoot. You might want to have a third. And he mentioned that he thinks Tony Alford at some point in the year, will probably find a third to, to get in that rotation too. It's all the things that you say when you have a tracer and a master Teague backfield, no one was saying that last year when you have a JK Dobbins, JK Dobbins is better than this. Um, so if you can get one of these two guys to become more of a JK Dobbins, not that you're expecting a guy to go and rush for 2000 yards and have the year that JK did. But if you can find a guy who you can rely on, um, on certain key downs, on third downs, on short yard situations around the goal line, that is ultimately what you're going to want from one of these two guys. Um, so the 50-50 thing, it's, it's an interesting thing to start the season. I'll be interested to see how it evolves as well. And like you said, um, it, it's going to be tough for Tony Alford to um, – I, I, I think he wants, you obviously want to avoid what the, uh, the, the last year of the Mike Weber-J.K. Dobbins split, where that running game – whenever they needed to go to it, it just didn't seem like they could. Um, and the way to do that, I think, and it's really what I've been saying for a while. I think that Trey Sermon um, should get, should start. And I think he should get a good, good amount of the reps early. And I think you can mix Master Teague in, but where Master Teague, I really like him is later in the game when you can throw him in there and he can basically be the punch to a defense that is tired and it's looking for, you know, to get off the field. I think Master Teague at, whatever he is, 5'11", 220, or the four three forty time. I mean, he's the kind of guy who's going to run into somebody and run you over. He's not going to try and run around you. He's not a super complicated back. I mean, when he gets going forward, he's going to stay going forward. Um, he's not, he's not going to be a guy who's going to win with his quickness. He's going to win with his speed and power. And that's why I like him later in games. Um, and I think that I'll probably like Trey Sermon earlier in games. So I'll be interested to see if, if, if – you know, like you said, it's going to be a 50-50 where they go series by series, or if they think maybe a little bit more strategically, which is what I wish that – it's honestly what I thought Tony Alford should have done when he had the the, the final year of, of J.K. and Mike Weber in 2018. Yeah, I think both these guys are going to be good, but I think, you know, realistically, you can't expect either of these guys to be J.K. Dobbins. So no. uh, it is going to be different. You know, I do think a split makes sense. You know, I also think this – all of us assuming we know Teague's back practicing – we don't necessarily know that Teague is a hundred percent in terms of full speed. You know, you think back Mm -hmm. to two years ago when tough Borland came back from his Achilles injury, he clearly was not at full speed. So, you know, there's, there's that question as well that, 
you know, he's got to be at that 100% if he's really going to be a guy that's taken a bulk of the carries. But, you know, I, I think, you know, 50-50 for the most part makes sense. I mean, there's also the fact that we're in a year where you could lose a guy for three weeks. So you definitely want to have two running backs. Uh, you'd like to have three. You know, my, my, when, when I hear the, that about three, you know, I think Steel Chambers is probably your third guy, but I don't think it's going to be a sizable portion of carries for him in meaningful action unless something happens to Sermon or Teague that would open up that playing time for him. Yeah, to me, the comment of, like, it would be nice to have three is just put the carrot out there and, right. and say and making sure that those guys continue to work and know that, you know, if, if things go right, they can get on the field. They are not going to go to a 33-33-33 split on carries. That's just not going to happen. Um, it'll, I, I fully expect it will be these two guys. Um, if I were to say this, though, Dan, among the other running backs in the room, who's third in, in all-purpose yards? So the question is Steel Chambers or Demario? Or Marcus Crowley. Or Marcus. Well, I know Crowley, they don't seem overly optimistic about Crowley. Uh, At least to start the ready season. For the start of a season. Yeah. I'm going to say Steel Chambers because I just, until I see, at this point, until I see Demario actually do something, until I see there being an actual role for him, I, I just can't buy stock in there right now. Yeah, and I think that's totally fair. And also goes back to the point where, like, if Steel Chambers is the guy who's getting the third most yards among the running backs, you're going to have a 50-50 split. Because if you want, if Demario's that answer, then maybe you can throw in Demario on a third down, some passing yeah. downs, work him in that way. But if it's going to be a 50-50 split, and if Steel Chambers is the third guy in the backfield, then either Demario's going to play more wide receiver, um, or you're also just going to ride ride Trey Sermon and Master Teague to, for the duration of the season. And I also say that because I think Steel Chambers is going to get plenty of carries against Rutgers in Maryland and Illinois. <laughs> Completely fair. Completely <laughs> fair. And 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 honestly, like I don't. I, I think a lot of uh, fans who have seen a thousand blowouts in their lifetimes don't look forward to those games. But I always think it's fascinating to see some of those younger guys get on the field, especially you know this year when it's going to be quarterbacks like C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller when we see them in game action for the first time. So, yeah, I think a lot of people turn off their TVs. I wouldn't necessarily do that this year, especially when it's a shortened season. And but Yeah, I mean, there's just not going to be as many opportunities for it this year because there's just not as many games. I mean, you're, you're not playing Bowling Green and Buffalo in September, so – there might only be like three of those games, depending on how things go. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, maybe not the average fan, but I think I think most likely the person who's spending an hour plus of their day to listen to us talk about Ohio State football, they're probably interested to see how the second team does in the fourth quarter of a blowout game. Yeah, or else you might be listening to the wrong podcast. <laughs> Anything else from the receivers and tight end press conferences that was particularly interesting to you? Well, it's funny. I don't think either of us really wrote about the tight ends, um, which is, you know, might be refreshing to some people who didn't want to see the, will this be the year that the tight ends catch the pass, uh, catch, start catching passes story. But, you know, the wide receivers are fascinating to me. Uh, Brian Hartline it's become extremely clear by this point that he's not someone who's going to walk in front of the mic and start dishing like Kevin Wilson, where you learn information about the quarterback and the running backs from the offensive coordinator. No, Brian Hartline's Brian Hartline wouldn't even really give up 
who's playing what position uh, when it when it came to wide receivers, which wasn't surprising to us, I'm sure. But I don't know. I think there are a few things that were interesting. One, I mean, Garrett Wilson, the plan with Garrett Wilson has not changed at all. Garrett Wilson will be in the slot when the season starts. And it seemed like, you know, in the spring when they were testing him out there, it didn't seem like there was a 100% chance that he would stay there. It seemed like, you know, he might try the – he might, you know, have the ability to go inside but mainly play on the outside. I think one of my main takeaways was Garrett Wilson is going to be in the slot, and I expect to see a ton of Garrett Wilson. And honestly, I fully expect him to lead the team in catches. I really do. I don't know if I'm quite there yet because I think Chris Olave is going to have a big year. But I, I think under- Chris Olave leads them in yards. I understand okay. where you're coming from because of him playing the slot. Yeah, and I think that that's where that that's sort of where my mind is at with him. Um, you know, he's someone who you know I thought it was interesting when he was asked um, who who is he looking at in terms of guys who have played the slot. Are you looking at anyone in the NFL? And he mentioned Devontae Adams. I think that that's an interesting comparison for him because I do think we're going to see a lot of him in the slot this year and, and maybe working out the kinks early in the season, figuring out how best to, to utilize him. By the end of the season, I could totally see him playing all, all over, whether it be the slot, whether it be Z, X. I think that that might be one of the things that, you know, Brian Hartline harped on the most that, you know, oftentimes you sort of roll your eyes at it. Like how, how versatile is this group really? How often are they going to bounce between positions? But it does really seem like, like, like Brian Hartline wants to get these guys moving around. And when you have the talent that you, you do in that position group, it's an interesting way to approach it. Yeah, I think when you have a guy as talented as Garrett Wilson is, you've got to figure out all the different ways you can use him because you don't want to place limitations on a guy like that. So I agree. I think I, I think he's going to primarily play the slot, but I, I do think we're going to see him outside of times, especially you know if we're talking about two tight end packages. I, I think you know you could definitely see times where you know he moves outside and you know, he's playing opposite Chris Olave because those are their top two receivers. If you've got, you know, Jeremy Ruckert in there, you know, maybe flexing out and playing as, as a H as they would call it. You just got me excited, Dan, talking about Jeremy Ruckert moving outside or moving. Yeah. Moving to, to slot wide receiver. I'm extremely here for that. Um, but I, I think that, I think that was one of the more interesting aspects of it. Um, Jetson Smith and Jigba came up. I know your ears probably perked up. When, when that question got asked. But I know you specifically asked about Chris Olave and wrote about Chris Olave today on Tuesday. What were sort of your takeaways of, of the vibe that you got off of both him and, and Brian Hartline talking? Um, and, and, and really, this was you know, Olave's first comments about what happened in the Fiesta Bowl in, what, eight, nine months? Honestly, it was pretty much exactly what I expected. It was, kind <laughs> yeah. of, it was one of those stories that, like, had to be written that like I would have written in March if we had talked to Chris Olave in March and I'm writing it now because this is the first time we've talked to Chris Olave in nine months. But you know, it's kind of what I expected that, yeah, that he's still bothered by the Fiesta Bowl, but he's also moving forward. You know, he's not, he's not usually someone who's going to say anything controversial or anything too bold. So I, I wouldn't have expected that. I, I think the thing that, to me is my big, big question about the wide receivers. And when I, you know, draft up depth chart projections and such, the thing that I, I just don't know about, and is going to be one of the things I'm really interested to see come week one is who's going to play at that X position because Olave and Jamison Williams have both been at the Z, but 
everything you hear makes you think that the top three receivers are Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jameson Williams. So more and more I'm thinking Olave or James Williams, one of those guys is going to end up at X because they're going to want them both in the starting lineup. Because if not, I think your options at X are Jalen Harris, who, you know, I mean, his name didn't come up today and his name's not really coming up at all. So I, I, I just don't get the vibe that he's somebody who's in a position to be one of Ohio State's top receivers. Or you could be starting a freshman there, which is not out of the question because you've got guys like Julian Fleming, like G. Scott, who have already lost their their black stripes. But I, I still be surprised if a freshman's in the starting lineup. I think two or three of those guys will be in the rotation, but I just don't know what I see one of them being in the starting lineup right away. So my guess is either Olave or Williams moves to X so that you can get them on the field together and Garrett Wilson. But I'm not confident in that because you could just still have them rotate at Z and that way you've got one of them on the field at all times. Dan, I mentioned this to you before the podcast, but I just want to ask it to you. Like in your mind, how many freshmen in a six-man rotation at wide receivers too many? I think three might be too many. That's sort of where I'm at. And here's the interesting thing. I think there might be three in the two deep depth chart. I think there might be two. And, and, and I'll say, I say this, I say that prefacing it that if you come out of camp and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Julian Fleming and G Scott, Wookie Cooper, I mean, I think they, those four might all be in the top seven, the way they're talking about them. And so if that's the way that you come out of it, then yeah, they should all be in your rotation because you should play your best players. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't just play a Jalen Harris or an Elijah Gardner or a Cameron Babb because they've paid their dues. If those wide receivers are better. I mean, I talked about it a couple weeks ago and I was watching Clemson and you're seeing all the true freshmen that they're working in. You can't be afraid to do that. If you're going to beat Clemson, if you're going to beat Alabama, if your most talented players are, are true freshmen, you can't be afraid to play them. I don't, I don't know if you ne- – you know, if you have a two deep where your second line is free freshmen, I don't know if you necessarily want that. But if they're the best players, play them. Yeah, and I think it goes back to this. I, in an ideal world, you don't necessarily want those three guys – you don't want three freshmen in a, in a two deep rotation of six wide receivers. But I think that this sort of highlights the misses that they've had, a, a, you know, at a couple areas where you thought at this point, either Jalen Harris or Elijah Gardner would be contributing in a larger way. And also like you just hit something unfortunate, like Cam Babb's injury. Cause if Cam Babb was healthy, I've no doubt in my mind that he would be in the rotation right now. Um, but unfortunately for him and unfortunately for Ohio State, that's just not a reality. So I don't personally think that, you know, in, in a perfect world, they would want six freshman wide receivers starting. I would also – or <laughs> you definitely don't want six. But have, have, have three freshman wide receivers in a six-man rotation. But if you're going to have three, having, having the three that I think that both me and you are thinking of, which is Fleming, Scott, and Smith, and Jigba, that is a really strong three. And I think that you get the vibe – that Ohio State really likes them and that those three were three of the first four freshmen had their black stripe removed, which, you know, it's funny because, like, what does that actually mean? Like, you don't get any prizes for that. 
but I think it does hint at who is ready in the coaches' minds to contribute earliest. I'm not ruling out Mookie Cooper, though. I mean, Ryan, not, Ryan, Ryan Day compared him to Rondale Moore last week. <laughs> and Rondale Moore was pretty damn good as a freshman, if you remember watching that game at Purdue. How <laughs> did I forget? So I'm not ruling out Mookie Cooper. The way that Ryan Day talked about him, the way that Brian Hartline talked about him, I don't think it's out of a question that he ends up in the rotation. I think he, he might have a tough climb because of the fact that I think he's a slot-only guy and you've got Garrett Wilson in the slot. But I'm not ruling him out at all. I'm not either. I just think if you look at the depth chart, it does seem – and this is this is just where we have to guess because we're not going to see any practices. But as long as Jetson Smith and Jigba is still in the slot, I would guess that he's ahead of Mookie on the depth chart. Um, I also think that we're going to see a lot of all four of those guys. Um, I just – I do wonder if there are going to be any early growing growing pains with them <laughs> or if they're just going to be complete smooth sailing and this is a dumb conversation. And – Given the fact that all four of those guys were top 100 recruits, that could be the answer. Uh, but I do think I don't ever really want to get to the point where I'm just basing everything off a of recruiting ranking and, and assuming something's going to happen. Because I, I really do think that people need to, you know, look back at the 2018 defense and think like, okay, I don't think that that is going to happen. I don't think that there's going to be mess like that on this team, but I do think that that offers warning signs of when you have talented guys who are playing in their very first opportunities, it might not just be stealing the entire time. I think there's a lot of guys on this team who are going to be in their first, um, first major opportunities. And while I think that a lot of them are going to thrive in them, I, I'm certainly not going to enter the season just assuming that that's all the case. I want to see it first. And the interesting thing about Ohio State's schedule is you get Nebraska and Penn State right off the jump. So we're going to have a really good idea early on of, of who, who Ohio State can rely on in a big way. And I think one final point on this, this probably could have been a thing I think, but just because Julian Fleming had the highest rating of these guys does not necessarily mean he's going to be the, the most ready to play of these guys right away. And I also don't think that anytime anything good is said about a fresh, another freshman should mean, why not, why aren't we talking about Julian Fleming? Cause that's what happens. Anytime, anytime there's anything that's tweeted, that's positive about one of your freshmen, it's like, what about Julian Fleming? And I know that people are excited about him because he's a five-star guy. And I, I think he's going to be a really good player, but, I also wouldn't be surprised if he's not the most productive freshman receiver this year. And that's not a knock on him, but I, I think all of these guys are talented. And I, I, I think any one of these guys could, could be a great player right away. And I don't, I don't necessarily think Fleming is at the top of that pecking order right now, even though he was the highest recruited. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Um, and I, and you know, wide receivers, Wide receiver is arguably the most interesting position to, to actually see on the field once the, once the games get played. Is one, you have Chris Olave, who like, I legitimately thought, and he, I, he ruled this out today during the interviews, like I thought you know, he might be able to you know, skip the season and go be a first-round pick or be right on that first-round bubble. Um, you, get a go, you get to see him once again trying to, be the, trying to show that he's the best receiver in the country. You get to see Garrett Wilson move inside to the slot. You get to see Jameson Williams speed. And then you get to see whatever we can from Cam Babb, whatever we can from Jalen Harris and Elijah Gardner, since we basically haven't seen them at all in their careers. And then you got the four freshmen. Like that is an entire position group where I've got basically unknowns across the board, except for there's one known. And that's like 
all these dudes are really talented. And you know, how, how will that coalesce once they're on the field playing together, catching passes from Justin Fields in real meaningful games against other teams? I think that they're going to be really good, but I want to see it. I, I really, I really want to see these wide receivers. All right. I think if we're going to do this draft, I think we need to, we need to get into it. So we don't end up with a three hour podcast here. That's, that's very fair. We're going to try and go through this quickly, but Dan, what are the parameters that, that we should you know it's, it, that, that we should explain? All right. So we did this last year too, and we'll, we'll, we'll have it written out on the site too. So uh, to make it more clear, but Basically, the idea is we're both going to draft 22-man lineups. So we're both going to draft one quarterback, one running back, one tight end, and we'll say two or three receivers. That last position could be a flex. If you want to draft two tight ends or two running backs or whatever because you can do different packages, you you can draft a flex guy um, or just be a third receiver. Five offensive linemen four defensive linemen, three linebackers, four defensive backs. Again, if you want to do three corners and one safety, two corners and two safeties, we don't exactly know what the secondary is going to look like. So you could draft whoever you think the best guys are and then align your secondary regardless. The big, the biggest parameter is you can't draft Justin Fields number one and then C.J. Stroud number two. You, you, can't, you can't draft guys just to steal them from the other person's team. You've got to draft to – I mean, you can, but it has to be within the parameters of building your best lineup, not just drafting guys to stash on your bench to take away from the other person's team. And I'll make this point too, because I think that it's an important point. So like Justin Fields, spoiler alert, whoever gets the first pick is going to go first overall. But that doesn't mean that the next guy who gets the pick is going to pick one of the other quarterbacks um, because there's no reason to do that because if the first pick is Justin Fields, that guy's not going to take another quarterback the, the 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 rest of the the rest of the draft. So you can basically sit around and wait and grab your quarterback at the end. So yeah, this isn't us just ranking our best twenty two players. And I think it's important to make that point, um, but it is us trying to <laughs> strategize a way to pick the best eleven uh, man lineup on both sides of the ball. And, and you know, I, I think it's fun. And we also we also both have to factor in the depth of the positions we're drafting because there's some positions where, you know, a guy might be one of the best players on the team, but you might look at it and say, okay, if I miss out on him and I get his backup, the drop off there isn't as much as it is at another position. So I think you'll see that factor into our picks here as we go. Yeah, um, and I guess we can just Dan, who's getting the first pick? Well, last year we flipped a coin and you got the first pick. I'll flip a coin right now. It's called justflipacoin.com. Okay. Should I trust Colin considering last year he got the first pick? Heads or tails, Dan? I haven't clicked on the website. Heads. Yet. I feel like I need to like, record my screen right now, but I'm not going to. All right, Screenshot. I clicked it, and it's heads. Congratulations, Dan. You now have Justin Fields. Presuming that, that is your first pick. That is correct. I'm going to draft Justin Fields with the number one pick in the real pod Wednesdays. 2020 Ohio State football draft. There's no need to explain this. Yeah, I want, I want I want quarterback. I mean, Colin took him number one last year. I'm taking number one this year. What more do I need to say? All right, we're going in snake order, right? So I have back to back picks Correct. right here. You have two and three, and then we'll we'll do two picks alternating the rest of the way. All right. So I I think that I think there's a clear answer right here. 
it's pretty clearly Sean Wade um, with the second pick. Because if you look at the rest of the cornerback room, you want the best guy in that group because he's the only sure thing. He's a potential first-team All-American. You got to feel pretty good about getting him. And then I think for my for the third pick, my second pick, I think there's a lot of ways you can go with this. Um, but I think last year, if I or, or no, we did a draft of recruits earlier this year, and I got and I just I didn't like my offensive line, so I'm just going to have to correct that right now, and I'm going to have to come out of the gates with Wyatt Davis. You took the second and third guys on my board, so I I love uh, it. Yeah, no complaints whatsoever about your picks. Uh, I think you you got it exactly right. All right, you're up with with back to back picks right here, Dan. Who are you, who are you going to roll with in the eleven Warriors draft? All right, so there's no chance I'm letting you do what I did to you last year, which was load up on your offensive line. Uh, last year, I loaded up the offensive line before you could get them. I'm not do I'm not letting you do that. So my next pick is going to be Josh Myers, who I I think you know. Davis gets all the headlines, but I think Josh Myers might be the best center in the country. And so uh, I'm not passing him up here. That is fair. The next pick's a little tougher for me, but. Please don't take the guy I want because I'm looking at him right now and I'm just ready to just say his name. Yeah, I think I've got to go with this because I think upside here is what I'm looking at. And I'm just looking for a guy who I really think can be a, a, a. a difference maker for my defense. And so I'm going to go with Zach Harrison with the next pick. That's fair. That is not actually who I was going to go with, but I don't know that anyone could ever find qualms with someone taking Zach Harrison. <laughs> so I'm looking at my board. Um, I want Chris Olave. I think that Chris Olave, I don't know if Chris Olave is going to be the number one best receiver in the country, but I feel pretty confident he's going to be among the best four or five. Um, and yeah, I don't have Justin Fields throwing passes on my team. So I would like, uh, to have Ohio state's best receiver catching him. It was really hard for me to pass up a lot of there. I, I strongly considered him there. Cause I, I do think he's a top five player on the team. So figured you and would take do you want, him. Do you want me to do this? No. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. This is, yeah, I'll do it. You got to do it. I want Garrett Wilson. Ooh. I don't want Justin Fields throwing throwing to to his best wide receivers. I want them on my team. I respect that. I respect that. I I really do. It doesn't it doesn't really go any deeper than that. No, I I totally respect that. Uh, I'm glad that this team has a lot of talent at receiver because that's tough. All right. <laughs> yeah, so that was honestly it here. If I can just say this. When I was looking at the receivers, that, that that was the pause that you heard in my voice. I just wasn't 100% sure if I wanted to go all in um, with, the rece- with, with two receivers early in the draft when they've got an entire team of five stars. All right, so that that's going to send me back to the same strategy I went with for much of my draft last year, which is building up my trenches. That's exactly what I'm going to do with my next two Don't picks. Don't you do it. I'm going to draft Thayer Munford, and I'm going to draft Tommy Togiai. Okay. That's incredibly fair. Togiai was, was going to be my next pick. I'll be honest. Yeah, and that's because there's, there's so little depth at defensive tackle, in my opinion. I'm, I remember last year, 
uh, it worked out for you that I drafted two defensive tackles first and you ended up with Devon Hamilton and yes, Jay Sean Cornell. But <laughs> this is a different team at defensive tackle. There's there's not a lot of not a lot of depth there. So I felt like Togi I was a must get. He is the clear number one in that room, in my opinion. Um, all right, when I'm looking around the rest of the team, I can't not do it anymore. I, I have to take Pete Warner. I think Pete Warner is awesome. I think he's incredibly underrated. I was considering him the last time that I got picks, um, but I'm not going to pass up on him right now, especially when you have um, when you have Justin Fields. When I'm looking at the rest of the group, hmm, there's now we've entered the realm of this draft where it's, a lot of this is personal preference, um, and you're freaking me out by taking the offensive lineman. <laughs> So I, I feel like I'm going to have to go offensive lineman here. And I'll just do it. I'll take the first guy who's never been a starter before. I'm taking Harry Miller. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I guess I could be wrong on Harry Miller, but who's ever bet on Harry Miller been wrong? I don't think that's ever happened in Harry Miller's entire life. So I'm going with Harry Miller. No, I like those picks. Werner, Werner was the next guy on my board. And then depending on who you picked there, there was a chance I was going to take Harry Miller with one of my next two picks. So, and, and plus, I need Wyatt Davis and Harry Miller to both handle Tommy Toe guy. That's fair. All right. You got, you got Sean Wade, so now I'm going to go and get my top two remaining defensive backs on the board. So I'm going to draft Josh Proctor to be my deep safety, and I'm going to draft Seven Banks to be my top corner. That's understandable. I'll be honest. So, um, I, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'll say this. Um, I wasn't going to take either Josh Proctor or Marcus Hooker because that's one of those positions where I think Josh Proctor might be a first-round talent. But I'm also just, like, not 100% sure that Josh Proctor is going to be a fully finished product in 2020. And I think that the gap between him and Marcus Hooker might be smaller than most people think. So that's why he wasn't on my board quite yet. But did you say you're also taking seven banks, Dan? Correct. All right. Well, then I can't. I can't not. I can't let this run continue. I have to take Cam Brown um, with my next pick, because as we all know, quarterback gets a little bit dicey when you go down down the line um, a little bit further. But looking at the rest of the board. Uh, this might be a total value pick when we look back on it, Dan, because right now we're at number 15 overall. I'm just going to take Tyreek Smith. And I feel like I've been the guy, uh, you know, maybe on the beat who's been a little bit lower on Tyreek Smith. And it's basically because, like, I feel like people are around here thinking that Tyreek Smith has already had, like, an eight-sack season or something. I I feel like I should look this up right now. Um, but, you know, he's – he – let's see, last year – he had three sacks. You know, he we're sort of, we're still sort of waiting on his breakout season, but I think this. I, I really do think that this season, um, along with Zach Harrison and Jonathan Cooper on that defensive front, I think that he's going to have a, a significant step forward. So I, I like the value with him here. He was he was the top remaining guy on my board. So I I agree. I think that's absolutely a, a value pick there. Um, you were smart to take him before you let me take another defensive lineman. <laughs> All right. Uh, my next pick is not going to surprise you. I'm going to take Jeremy Ruckert with my next pick because I'm a, I'm a Jeremy Ruckert fan and I'm, I'm hoping we get to see 
him play, make a bigger impact in the receiving game this year. I missed out on the top receivers. You know what you want to hear? I'll, I'll, I'll give you something. There was a part of me that when the draft came back to me, I was thinking about going Ruckert Farrell back to back and taking both tight ends. Um, <laughs> because you know, I love, I've been talking about Jeremy Ruckert in that slot wide receiver position for like the entirety of 2020. I'll, I might as well have just taken that on my team, but uh, no, I, that's, that is understandable. And then my next pick, I am going to go ahead and take a guy who I do think will be the top running back on this year's team. And I'm going to take Trey Sermon. You know, I am, you know, I know you're, I know you're a, a Trey Sermon guy too. And I'll be honest. So am I um, when it comes to this year's team, I, I am. And I, and I know, you know, there's an interesting group of the fan base, I think that really loves Master Teague and, and feels like he's not getting his just due. And like, part of me, I, I, I really fully understand that because the guy, like there was a point in the year last year where we thought that he might be a 1000 yard back. Um, and a lot of lead up to the season, we've just been talking about Trey Sermon all the time, but I am sort of looking to see if Master T can expand on his game a little bit more than we saw last season. Um, so I agree with, with you taking Trey Sermon where he did. But looking around the rest of the team, um, hmm, there are a billion and a half question marks now. Um, I guess – I mean, I, I don't like necessarily doing this because I feel like now I'm, you know, it's a little bit of a risk, but I'm going to go with Teron Vincent because if Teron Vincent is who Teron Vincent, you know, we thought he was at a, at a high school as that five-star defensive tackle at the three technique who can provide that, you know, that pass rushing up the middle, there will be a lot to like about him. Um, the obvious question there is, you know, how healthy is he? Um, and unfortunately, since we can't actually go get to see them practice, we don't really know. Um, the other guy, you know, I don't know how he's been on the board so long. I mean, I got to go with Baron Browning. And I'm just going to unleash him on the edge. I guess he'll be technically my, my weak side linebacker along with Pete Warner as, as my strong side linebacker. But in my defense, Dan, I'm just saying, you're, you're going to want to watch him off the edge. Yeah, that, I, I, I know how you're going to utilize him because you have been the biggest proponent of Baron Browning rushing off the edge that I've ever heard. So uh, I think those are good picks. I think those are both uh, good upside picks. Uh, With that being said, there was a clear top two on my board, but I was hoping you were not going to take from me. So I'm glad that I get to pick them now. Uh, The next one is Jameson Williams. I was horrified that you were going to take him from me and I was going (laughs) to miss out on the top three wide receivers. So I'm really glad that you didn't do that. I'm going to take Jameson Williams. And then the next one I'm going with because I think there might only be one guy that they can really count on to play slot quarterback. I knew you wanted him, so I thought, <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were about to take him from me. But I got to go with Marcus Williamson because I just don't know if there's anyone else they can really rely on to play that slot cornerback position right now. So uh, I got to go Marcus Williamson. That is completely sensible in my mind. Um he was absolutely going to be my next guy. And now it's almost like I have to sort of just take a step back and, and think about what I'm going to do next. Um, wow. Okay. There's actually someone who I really like, and I don't think you're going to pick him. I'm just, I just want to get this out here right now. So if you do pick him, just know I'm going to be mad. Cause I think that he might be there at the very end of the draft. 
um, but I want him. I think okay. right now I'm going to go with Jetson Smith and Jake. That's going to be my guy. And my receiving core with whichever quarterback I go with is going to be Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jetson Smith, and Jigba. I feel extremely confident about this, Dan. Yeah, I'm I'm hurt, but I did not get Jackson Smith and Jigba. I know. I almost I, did that I, just to just I, res- I respect right it. There. I respect it. Did I make two picks or was that only one? That was only one. Oh my gosh. And if you want to give me the next pick, I'll take it, but <laughs> I actually, Dan, now that you ask, no, I don't want to. Um, okay. I, there's someone who I want with my, with my, you know, the picks that are coming up after you, but I, but I really do want this guy for my team. And I think that you might take him. I'll take Jonathan Cooper here. Um, I feel like I've been a pretty big proponent of him as taking the fifth year leap. And I don't know that that'll happen, but I do know that he's one of the best leaders on the team. We didn't see him healthy at all last season. Um, so it's essentially been two years since we've seen a healthy Jonathan Cooper. And like, what does that look like after two years of developing? Um, he wasn't exactly, you know, that, that star pass rusher that you necessarily want uh, coming on the edge at defensive end at Ohio state um, in, in 2018, but I don't think we've seen him healthy in a long time. So I feel, I feel very comfortable taking him right here in the draft. It definitely gets tougher at this point. Uh, just it does. I think board. I do. I get any leadership points for taking Coop? I feel like I deserve like two leadership points. Sure. Thank you. That's all I wanted. <laughs> um. Next pick. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Nicholas Petit Frere for the next pick because uh you know get get my bookends at tackle. You know he he hasn't locked up that spot yet, but he is the front runner, be the starting right tackle and. And it's a guy who's a former five-star recruit who uh, has all the potential in the world to be a star. So okay. I'm going to take Petit Frere, my next pick, and you know get my offensive tackle spot set. And my next pick, this one's probably going to hurt me in the reader vote because a lot of fans don't oh. think this guy should play. <laughs> but if you talk about leadership points, at the 25th pick, I'm pretty happy to get the second three-time captain in Ohio State history. So I'm going to draft Tough Borland. Uh, to be my middle linebacker. Can I get JT Barrett as an honorary team captain for me? <laughs> I don't want to be there with the, the first three-time captain. He'll be my offensive coordinator. Sure. Um, all right. I was not going to take him. You want to know why? Because your quarterback is Justin Fields, and I can't have Tuck Borland on the field defending Justin Fields. Um, I think Tuck Borland is great against some offenses. He's not going to be on the field against uh, Justin Fields. And if I am... Um, if I am the uh, the head coach here, um, and who knows, maybe he's a first, second down linebacker on my team if I were to take him. But I feel confident with with some of the other guys who are on the board for my third linebacker. Um, right now, I'll go with Matthew Jones, who is basically not talked about ever yet. Is a top seventy five overall recruit who's in his third year, who's going to line up at center between Harry Miller and White Davis for my team, um, and I feel. I feel by far most confident about him than the other interior linemen um, who are on the board right now. So to be honest, I, I personally see that as a, a good value pick for me. Um, that was smart. Tr- that was smart. Cause I, you, I, I'm in a bit of a tight spot at guard now. <laughs> I am looking and I think there's really only one more position, uh, two more positions that, you know, we're actually going to be, fighting for players that then it's just going to be filling out the teams. 
Um, I will go and look at the defensive tackle position. And I'll take Antoine Jackson. And I'll be honest, like if I if if I had Tommy Togi on my roster and and you had um, Tyreek Smith, or what am I saying? If I had Tommy Togi and you had Teron Vincent, then I would um, have potentially taken Tyler Friday as my second defensive tackle. And who knows? Maybe I just gave you an idea. Um, but I like I like Antoine Jackson where I have him. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, getting the defensive tackle. I was while you were talking. I was make. I I had been writing down the picks, but I hadn't been writing down the actual positions. So I'm like, I gotta make. I gotta make sure I I'm filling the correct positions here as I go. So that makes sense. Resetting my board here for a sec to make sure I get the right guys here. Thinking about who else I want to fill out this team. You're struggling, Dan. No, I'm looking at who you've drafted because I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what positions you still need to fill. There's uh, only, there's literally only one. Do you want me to just tell you it? Sure. Otherwise we're just going to have dead air. <laughs> I need, I need a linebacker. Um, otherwise we're just going to be sort of running down the board and taking guys. Yeah. Well, that, that is one of the positions I was looking at. So I'll, I'll, I'll go with it. I think, mm. I, I don't know. I, I, you know what? Before I do that, I, I know you need tackles. So I'm going to go ahead and draft a Juan Jones and put him at guard. Because Damn. Dan, I just want to let you know, I, I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about taking Dewan earlier um, with the idea that maybe you would do that. Um, but wow, that was really mean of you. I'm sorry, but you know, if you take. Because there's, that- there's so clearly a top four when it comes to offensive tackle that if you take a guard, if you take Dewan and move him to guard, I mean, wow. Well, um, you know, I'm not just I'm right not now. just doing this out of spite because we've seen some clips from Ohio State over the last yeah. few days that it does appear that they've been looking at him at guard, which I think makes some sense for his future. And when you took Matthew Jones, now I'm looking at him going, okay, there's really not a ton of options left at guard. I like the upside of moving DeWand inside here and, and putting him at, at guard. So that that's why I'm doing that with this pick. And you know, really, I don't think really I'm. Mean. I don't that think really I'm. Mean of you, Dan. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna do linebacker because I think you still need a slot corner or whatever you want to do with this. And I need an outside corner. And I think the clear. I mean, if you're unless I want to draft a freshman, I think the clear option at corner is Tyreek Johnson. So I'm I'm gonna draft Tyreek Johnson here uh, as my last defensive back. That's fair. All right, I'm just gonna make these two rapid fire pits because I already know that I want them. Um, I'll take Dallas Gant and I'll put him at Mike linebacker. You know that I've been riding the, the Dallas Gant Mike linebacker train and I'll take Ronnie Hickman and put him at slot corner. Cause I, I, I don't know. I thought I was, it, you know, what's the funny thing? Like I haven't even seen Ronnie Hickman play football in Ohio state uniform yet, but when I heard that he's the backup slot corner right now, um, or at least that's what it sounds like in interviews makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. 
yeah, no, but those those do make sense. Everyone in Toledo will be proud of you for drafting Dallas Gantt. Truth. All right, so taking a look at the board, I am going to go ahead and I'll go ahead and draft Julian Fleming here because I think getting him Not too shabby. this late, that kind of upside, five-star receiver, um, I, I don't think I can pass that up at this point. And You know, I'm tempted to do something just to be mean to you, but I'm not going to do yeah, it. Yeah, I know what you're tempted to do. Yeah, I'm tempted I'll to say it after I take him. Yeah, right I'm, I'm tempted to do it just to be mean, but I, I would rather have three wide receivers. So I'm going to draft Taraji Mitchell here. Okay, you could have done two things mean then, because um, I assume that you were going to you were going to mention taking Luke Farrell. Yes. Yeah. So I'll just take him right now, just to. Yeah. If you give me another more, chance, I was gonna. Do yeah. It. Maybe you get more mean in like five minutes and decide to take him. So I'm gonna take him. And then the other guy who, when you said that, I was like, oh my, he's gonna do. He's really gonna do this. I'm just gonna take Paris Johnson right now. Yeah, that one, one of my offensive tackles. That would have really been mean because I know you love Paris Johnson, but I think Paris Johnson's gonna be awesome. I yeah, was I feel, uh, pretty. I was referring to Luke Farrell. All right, so I need I need two defensive linemen, a linebacker, and a guard. So I am going to go ahead. And I will take Tyler Friday now because I need to make a defensive end. Makes sense. And I will go ahead and I'll I'll round out my offensive line here, drafting Enoch Vamai. He was on my board. All right. I'll make the two picks that I've been obvious I would make for the entire time, but I'll just make them real quick. CJ Stroud, Master Teague to be in my backfield. Since you took Justin Fields, Trey Sermon, I could just wait. And those are the two guys who are pretty obviously atop my board. I mean, you could probably go Jack Miller, Gunnar Hoke, um, but I feel pretty confident that CJ Stroud is is uh, the guy that I will take right now, having never seen basically any of them throw at Ohio State uniforms before. And in all honesty, like, this is one of those funny things. Like, it's totally just based on recruiting ranking. Like, yeah. it's based on recruiting ranking and seeing him, like, throwing, like, an all-star game, like, watching a few minutes of his tape. Like, that's that's really what it is. Um, so, who knows? He probably doesn't match up to Justin Fields very well as a true freshman, but he is my he's my starting quarterback. I'm trying to I'm trying to make sure – be moving fast here, so I'm trying to make sure. Do, do I have? Do I? Oh, I, I I'm trying to figure out if I have. What, do I have three picks left? Oh, I have no idea. I'm just looking at them by position. Do you, well, do you have two picks left? 
Or I need – you got to give me a second. I need a safety. I need an offensive tackle. And, yeah. I think yeah, because it would be – because I would have I would have the last – because I was, I was looking at it, I thought I only had two left, and I'm like, wait, I still need three positions. So uh, that wouldn't have worked. All right. Turns out we don't do math well. No, we are, we are no uh, Harry Miller. We can't explain the space-time continuum or whatever he was talking about on Ohio State's Twitter. <laughs> that's, that's exactly why I drafted Harry Miller, though. I need someone to explain <laughs> that. All right, so for my – all right, so, you know, it, we, we were talking before about, you know, just for the receivers and, you know, what we do there and, you know – you you drafted my top two slot guys, so I'm just gonna go on upside here. I'm gonna draft Mookie Cooper to be my slot receiver because this guy's getting compared to Rondell Moore, and I, I I've been pretty high on Mookie Cooper since they uh, signed him. So I, I'm just gonna go for the upside play there and get Mookie Cooper as my slot receiver, and then third linebacker. You know, it's it's really a toss up to me between Justin Hilliard and Kayvon Pope. Um, you know, I think you know, I've either one of them could could be could be this third guy for me. I'll go I'll go with Justin Hilliard. That makes sense, and that's who I would have gone um with. So I have my final two picks. I'll just make them quickly since I already know them. It is gonna be Marcus Hooker to round out my secondary. And then I'll be honest, like, here's where you threw me for a loop. Here's, if you want to look at a hole in Ohio State's roster, <laughs> which isn't actually a hole because no one in the world will ever use five tackles, but I have no idea who the fifth tackle on this roster is. Um, I think Max Ray is the obvious candidate, but Max Ray is also a redshirt sophomore, and basically his name has never come up since he's been at Ohio State from, from coaches or teammates. So I don't really know that, that he would necessarily be my pick. I also don't really know who else I would go with. Um, I sort of look at Ryan Jacoby and think that maybe he could slide out and you know be a tackle. He sits five three ten, um, but I feel like I have to go with Max Ray here. Um, I don't necessarily feel confident just because like we haven't heard his name at all in the last two years. Um, that's, that that you know that could mean nothing, but also could mean that you know he's gotten passed up by some other guys, um, and that's why I wanted Dewan Jones. But obviously you took him, so I will round out my team with Max Ray. No, I think that's the right choice because you're you're basically choosing between Ray or true freshman, basically. So I, I think that's your right choice. Get a guy that's at least got some experience. Uh, last pick, defensive tackle. I'm going to go with Haskell Garrett. Uh, we, we don't know exactly what his status for the season is going to be, but I think if you assume that he'd be healthy, uh, he's certainly going to be one of their top four defensive tackles. So I will go with Haskell Garrett to round out my lineup. I'm going to be totally honest. He was not on my draft board just because I have no idea what his status is uh, for this season. If he plays and, and like if this injury literally getting shot in the face doesn't, you know, harm his trajectory much, then yeah, it's an absolute value pick. But I also think, you know, if we're going to talk about guys who no one ever talks about, who, you know, might be fairly big contributors on the team, Jerron Cage is right there for me. Um, because, you know, if Teron Benson is still dealing with some injury stuff, if Haskell Garrett, you know, isn't, you know, if Haskell Garrett isn't going to play as much as we thought he was going to, that all of a sudden 
makes Jaron Cage one of the one of the top two three techniques on the team. Um, and, and you know, I've been fairly impressed by him in the in the limited time that we've seen him. Um, so I would be interested to see what he would do in a bigger role. Is there anyone who you're surprised didn't get drafted? Uh, no, not at all. Um, I think, and here's where I'll go back. I think your team is going to win the popular vote by by a landslide, just in the fact that you have Justin Fields. That helps. And and honestly, this is like Justin Fields is such a gigantic part of this team that you could given you could have just given me like the first seven picks, and I'm still not sure that most people would have picked the the team led by Justin Fields. Um, he is, I mean, if you like, we are, we know that he's the most indispensable player on this team. Um, he's the best player on this team plays the most important position on this team. But when you put it like this, like it's so clear in a way that Justin Fields is most important. It's even more stark than it usually is when you, when you sort of lay it out like this. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, I think Sean Wade was the clear number two guy. And I think, I think just having Sean Wade, gives you an advantage on that back end of the defense because all of my guys are, are a lot less proven than Sean Wade. But uh, I think you're absolutely right about that. And that was just kind of luck of a coin flip there. But yeah, I mean, I think you won last year because you had Justin Fields on your team. Uh, I would expect the same, uh, not telling people to vote for me, but I just think that, uh, I think that I do think Don't worry, that, I already said it, Dan. I, already yeah, said I think, it. I think it makes a big difference, but uh, we'll see how it goes. I remember we were uh, pretty much neck and neck in the recruit draft. Our uh, avid listener, Zach Carpenter, came in a distant third in our recruit draft. So, uh, Shout out to you, Zach. I know you're listening. No, we love you, Zach. We just didn't like your picks. All right, well, I think the draft went pretty well. Now we'll uh, do our three things we think, kind of. Yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll my first three things, one of my first things is definitely going to be, I, I think I won the draft, even if the popular vote doesn't say so. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. <laughs> I guess I guess it won't be all. I'll save that to get angry at the results next week. But so why do you start. why do you think you won the draft? I, 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 I don't even think I won the draft <laughs> because I didn't get Justin Fields. So, but, but please – um, don't, if you heard that, don't let that affect your voting. I would love all of your votes, everybody. All right. I'll say first thing I think, I think Ty Hamilton's going to play this year. I think he's going to have a much bigger role than I would have anticipated. Uh, when he first came in, he was uh, the second player on defense to lose his black stripe. And it sounds like he's with the defensive tackles. I thought he was going to be with the defensive ends, but, uh, based on the clip they tweeted with his black stripe video and based on what Ryan Day said last week, it sounds like they're working him in at that defensive tackle spot. And, you know, with the uncertainty we just talked about with Haskell Garrett, uh, I think that free tech spot is probably where he'd end up and they could really need somebody to step in there. So uh, I have a feeling we're going to see Ty Hamilton have at least some sort of role in the free tech rotation this year. And I don't know that I would have anticipated that, but I, I think they need somebody to step up there. So I think he could be the guy. He could be, and it, you know, it's it's interesting because, like, even when he was getting recruited, I think people maybe gave him once you saw Devon Hamilton um, sort of rise as as the fall went on. I think people maybe looked at Ty and be like, "Wait a second, is he is he really going to be that guy? Is he going to follow in his footsteps?" And those footsteps for Devon were not like early on going out and and just wrecking stuff. For Devon, it was a lot longer of a process, um, and it wasn't until his fifth year did he, did he really break out. So, you know, 
it's funny, like we, we sit here and, we, and you make that prediction, which I think is totally reasonable with the information in front of you. He also hasn't even played a snap, and I think that there are multiple guys in front of him. So I do wonder how much he will play. Um, but it was it was interesting to see his name because if you were going to rank the guys um, who are mo- who we thought on the outside were most likely to lose their black stripe next, I don't think Ty was going to be in my top ten. Yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a surprise. But, you know, I do remember going back to December when they signed him, that even back then Ryan Day was like, we like what we saw from Ty Hamilton. We think he might contribute sooner than we thought. So I think, you know, maybe that's shaped up to be an example of where uh, the recruiting rankings might not reflect a guy's readiness to come in and contribute. So I think right now, even though he was lower rated than Jacoby Cowan and Darian Henry Young, if I'm guessing right now, I think Ty Hamilton might be the first one we see get meaningful playing time. My first thing I think um, is that I am, I am intrigued by Cam Bab. I'm also, I'm tempering my expectations a good bit there. Um, honestly, I think a, a good season out of him would just be seeing him on the field. I mean, it's just been so long since we've seen him. I think that there are some people who are wondering, like, can he really contribute? Can he play a big role on this team? And I certainly wouldn't rule it out. I mean, he, he was he was a really highly rated recruit for a reason. He's got talent. And, and I remember talking to his high school coach last fall for a story on Cameron Brown since they went to the same high school. And he said Cam Babb is like one of his he, – he might be the favorite player he's ever coached just personality-wise. He's that kind of guy. Um, so I think he's, he's, he's going to be an easy guy for everybody to root for. But I don't know about you, Dan, but like this is, as time progresses and especially as we hear more and more about these freshmen, I think my expectations are, are tempering with him. Like I think that he's going to get on the field. I'm not really sure that he's going to be in the rotation. I don't think that he would be a guy who I project to, to get those bigger snaps. Yeah, that's one for me that I, I just – I truly do not know because, mm-hmm. you know, we – I mean, I don't know that I necessarily read that the same way as you. Um, based on what we've heard. Um, I don't necessarily know that he's, you know, less likely to be in the rotation than maybe a Jalen Harris or, or an Elijah Gardner. Well, I, yeah, I no, no, no. I know, and I didn't say you said freshman. that. I, I was just, <laughs> Okay, okay. I, I no, just... I didn't. I, and I, I agree with you. I think the freshmen are on a really good trajectory right now, and if those guys are in the rotation over Cam Babb, that wouldn't surprise me. But I, I'm not ruling out Cam Babb. I, I just think – it's one of those, you know, I mean, I think of a Johnny Dixon a few years ago where he was kind of in a similar position and he ended up really rising up a rank. I still think that's possible for a Cam Bab. It's just one of those things. It's like, I have to see it before I can really project it. And I think you're probably in the same boat there. What's your second thing? I guess, you know, kind of, it's kind of similar. And I think you mentioned it last week, but you know, a guy who, I don't know if he's going to be in the rotation, but Demario McCall, even after interviewing him and Brian Hartline being asked about him, and I still don't know what he's going to be for Ohio State's offense. And I mean, it's probably reflected by the fact that neither of us drafted him. But I, I still I have a really difficult time getting a read for what they want to do with him. That said, I do think it's interesting that he was one of the four guys that Ohio State chose to talk to the media on Tuesday because – usually you figure the guys they're bringing out are guys that they expect to have a role on the team. And the other free receivers were Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jamison Williams, the free receivers who we know are going to have a role this year. So I do think that's interesting. I just cannot get a good feel for how they're going to use him. 
Yeah, I think that, and you know, it's funny here. I'll just go into this. My second thing I think was also going to be about Demario. It was going to be about how I respect his honesty because you know we talked. You know, when Demario spoke on Tuesday, he was asked how how frustrating has it been at Ohio State not being able to find a consistent role, and he said very frustrating. And you could hear it in his voice. He didn't even he didn't expound on that at all. You didn't really need him to expound on it. I, I think that I think he sort of got the gist. Um, and I I respect the honesty because we don't necessarily uh, see that all the time um, from guys who are who have been in situations like him. And like I feel like you know what's funny is like like we talk. I feel like we've talked a lot over the past few months about how we're not going to talk about Demario because like it's not his. Like we don't really see him having a role, and here we are, like on multiple weeks in a row, talking about Demario, and it's because Demario's fascinating. He just is. Like I don't know how to how to how to put it otherwise. Um, and also, like the opportunities there for him, if he can actually, if they can figure out how to use him, and if he can figure out a good role, um, because you look at the turnover at running back, and you look at the wide at the wide receiver position when there's only two guys, in Olave and Garrett Wilson, who you know for a fact are going to be in that rotation. Jameson Williams probably a third. Um, so the opportunity's there, um, and it's just so funny. Like he just he just keeps on coming up because when you talk to him, when you see him, it's hard not to talk about him. Well, and, and this is what happens when the off season lasts two months longer than usual. Is you know you you're fascinated by different things, and we have to kind of talk about some of these things that we otherwise would not be talking about in September. So uh, we'll see if we're talking about Demario in November, but uh, there's a reason why he's coming up uh, right now because we're still waiting for Ohio State football games to happen. But with that being said, my third thing I think will be about the football that actually is happening. And I think Colin might be playing a write-up at some point, so I hope I'm not stealing this one from you. But I think seeing Oklahoma lose this past week, seeing LSU lose this past week, makes you think maybe there's a little bit of margin for error for Ohio State. I was saying before, I don't know if there's any margin for error maybe there's a little bit of margin for error because if we're already seeing these big upsets happening, you know, LSU season opener, I mean, those, those were probably two of my top six teams that I thought could make the playoffs. So you've already got those teams with one loss. I still don't think there's much margin for error for Ohio state, but there might be a little bit because there's enough games here. There's enough happening that there's only going to be so many teams that are undefeated at the end of the season anyway. Yeah, I think as long as Alabama and Clemson don't mess up along the way, I think that they're going to be in the playoff. And I think a lot of people figured, you know, Oklahoma probably has a pretty simple road to the playoff just going through the Big 12. Well, and Missouri State probably shouldn't forget about them. Um, But I think that with them losing, yeah, you do see a little bit of opening where, like, Ohio State's going to be double-digit favorites in every single game, I think, except – you know, if they say if they lost one and they still, you know, beat a Penn State and a Michigan and, and, and won the Big Ten championship, like, I don't really know that that would completely rule them out. Um, I don't know. I, I think that this year is going to be impossible to be on the college football playoff committee. And I, I think in the, pe- oh my, I would never want that job. And especially this year. I just think that this year is a complete lose lose situation. But the one thing Ohio State does have um, in its back pocket, too, and, and you like, or what, two or three weeks from Gene Smith outright saying this, is you know, Ohio State's one of the most talented teams in the country. It wants to win via the eye test. So whether it loses a game or it doesn't lose a game, I think that the eye test is going to matter. 
Um, and I think it's going to matter for Ohio State to just run over some teams. And I don't know, like, the, the interesting thing was, like, um, two years ago when they lost to Purdue, it wasn't like that team was just going out and just destroying people. They weren't. Um, and maybe, maybe you know, maybe they would have made the playoffs if, if every single other game was just a 50-point win like it was in 2019. Um, so I, I do think that that's going to really matter. But I agree with you. I think I sort of ruled – I think I might have written it. Like, they have to go undefeated just because I don't think the schedule is very difficult. I don't necessarily totally believe that anymore. I'm in the middle. I, I just think anything could happen this year. I really do. I think that this is going to, this is going to be an impossible to predict uh, season, and that's why it's going to be so fun to watch. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you there. It's going to be It's going to be a wild ride. My third thing I've been thought, thinking about is – I get why people um, don't like the recruiting that Greg Chidraw was done. I really do. Um, I think that not having a 2021, you know, one of those five-star offensive tackles is, is a miss and it's a pretty, pretty substantial miss. But if there's anybody who's out there panicking and saying, you know, we need to fire this guy, uh, Ohio state deserves better. And I know that there are a lot, I know that there are a lot of Ohio State fans out there who think that. I just I just don't see it the same way. Um, I think I, I think when you look up and down at a lot of the, the the bigger recruits he's landed, you do see a lot of influence from from an Urban Meyer, um, from a Greg Schiano even, and Nicholas Petit Frere. You see Ryan Day going to Hawaii to help get Enoch Famahi. I know that Ryan Day was was you know one. I think he was the most important person in terms of the securing Paris Johnson when Paris started to look around. Uh, I know his mom had, had told me that when I went to see him sign. Um, so I do think that Greg Sidral has gotten a lot of help with some of the bigger fish that he's landed when it comes to offensive linemen. But I think also when you look at the, the, the future of this position, I'm not over here pressing the panic button. And I know, like, I, I feel like, I, I feel like some people are, and I'm just not there yet. I think that, I don't think that Greg Chidraw was like a Larry Johnson. I don't think he's a, he's a Kerry Combs, but I think he's a, I think he's a solid recruiter and I think he's a pretty good developer of talent. Um, specifically, I think the interior line future is about as good as you can get. Um, I think the, the, you know, the tackle depth right now, currently it's fine. I think maybe in, in two years, you're going to start questioning it, but I think right now they're in a good spot uh, with the offensive line. And I think the offensive line recruiting, yes, could be better. Um, they're, they're definitely going to need a hit on a big time tackle in the 2022 classes. It doesn't feel like they're going to do that in 2021, but I don't know. I feel like some people are pressing the panic button when I don't think it should be pressed. Yeah. You probably spend more time on recruiting forums than I do. Um, Cause I, I honestly haven't seen a ton of that, but uh, in terms of. Yeah. I'm more talking. I think I'm talking to the, to the recruiting diehards here. <laughs> yeah. Because if you look at the offensive line this year, they're going to have, three five stars starting on the offensive line and the other two guys are Josh Myers and Fayer Bunford. So, I mean, we, Ohio State could have the best offensive line of the country this year. So I don't think Greg Stadrow is going anywhere unless he chooses to go somewhere. I understand some of the recruiting concerns that have been levied there, but I don't think he's done a bad job by any means of recruiting. I think Ohio State's brought in a ton of talent. Uh, on the offensive line. And I think they're continuing to do that. So, yeah, I mean, you, you always want to get those, you know, top guys and, you know, they, I think they have missed out on a couple top targets at tackle in that 2021 class, but definitely no need for a panic button. And if, you know, if, if they had landed one of those 2021 tackles, if they had landed a JC Latham, 
I think that they would have been perfectly fine um, going forward. I think that, yes, when you don't have that guy, there is probably in three or four years, there's going to be a moment where it's like, you're going to need one of these three stars to come through maybe in a big way and maybe a little bit earlier in their development than, than you would have preferred. But if that's really the main concern, I don't know. I'm just not as concerned with other people. And if you're if you're going to say, like, they got Paris Johnson, as they should when, when he's an in-state Ohio guy, uh, you know, Ryan Day and, and other coaches have been heavily involved in some of the other recruitments, that's fine. I'm not saying that Greg Sidral was Larry Johnson. I'm saying I think Larry John. I, I think Greg Sidral was doing a, doing a, doing a fine job. I, I, I really do. Yeah, I think he's doing a good job, so. I don't know. That, I feel like I might have to write about that because, like, I think that there's a lot of people who just aren't pleased with him. And if the results are there, um, whether it's by Greg Sidrawa, whether it's by getting a, getting help from assistant coaches, or whether it's, you know, guys like Paris Johnson who happen to grow up close to campus and, and want to be Buckeyes, however you make it work, I think it's fine. And, and I think that he's shown that he is a good developer of talent. Um, and I think that that'll definitely show this year because you know where I am on this offensive line, Dan. Ohio State fans have very high expectations, and that's especially true for the recruiting diehards. Yes. Yeah. No, the highest of expectations, I would argue. All right. We're going to hit on our reader questions here before we wrap up this week's show. First question from Gin and Juice. If Ohio State wins a national championship this year, will you to commit to doing a hammered drunk RPW? No. It's a tremendous question. It's a great question, but no. No, I don't I don't think that I would commit to doing that. Um, I think that would be a poor decision for I remember I think I remember two years ago at the Rose Bowl, I think Doug LaMarie was doing a podcast in the media room where he like, I don't know that they were saying it on the on air, but yeah, some of those guests were uh, slightly. Yeah, I was I, I was actually one of the people he called over to join that podcast. I was glad that I was relatively sober at the time, <laughs> but I'm not sure that everyone he had on the podcast that night was relatively sober at the time. In fact, there was definitely just, there was definitely yeah. <laughs> some background noise from people who were not relatively sober one bit. No. OSU bias ass. There were a few upsets and a ton of ugly, sloppy football this past week. How much of that is opening up with conference opponents instead of out of conference sacrifices? How much is teams being bad? And how much is just 2020 doing to screw things up, uh, specifically preparation? Yeah, I mean, it's probably a little bit of all of it, but, you know, I think, I do think certainly it's a different equation when, you know, you think of a team like LSU you're jumping right into playing a good team like Mississippi state instead of playing some non-conference opponent. So, you know, I think like in Oklahoma, they had Missouri state, like we talked about. So I don't know if they can blame that, but you know, I, I think certainly it's a different equation for these teams of sec who just jumped immediately in to playing sec games the first week of the season. So you know, I think that's I part of it. Means, yeah. I know it means more, but I'll be honest. Like, I don't, I don't really think that that's a big part of it just because like you see a lot of big time out of conference matchups early in the season. Um, and like Ohio state would have been playing o- or not Oklahoma would have been playing Oregon this season. Um, obviously we didn't get to see that, but those are the kinds of games that you, that you see often. And, and I think that, you know, I don't necessarily think that there are more upsets um, just because they're playing 
in-conference opponents early in the season. So I don't really know that that's the thing I would point my finger to. Um, like, personally, I would – I just think that preparation's a lot weirder. Um, and I think a weird offseason where all of a sudden, like, it's hard – it's even hard for us to really project what Ohio State is. So how in the world are people supposed to, like, go and look at what Purdue uh, is? Like, I don't know. Like, I, my, my knowledge of Purdue will be from them playing games. And, I, and I'm sure that it's not going to be the, the best football in the world early on um, just because this offseason was so weird. Like, Ohio State's going to have three and a half weeks of, of preseason camp, which is fine. Um, but I also think when you haven't put pads on since, what was it, December um, or, or January, early January, then, yeah, I just think naturally that weirdness of the offseason is, is the things that are going to lead to ugly or sloppy football. And I don't even know if that's really going to lead to fewer to, to the upsets. I think the upsets in part are because people have less of a handle on what to expect from, from some of these teams. Yeah, and, I mean, also, like, week one sloppy football is always a thing, even in a normal year, like there's always sloppy play early in the season. So like, I don't even think that's all that abnormal. No, I I get what you're saying. I mean, I I do think, I do think it's, there's a difference between, you know, because you do have those marquee matchups, but you know, typically a team before it goes into conference play, you know, they're, they're playing, you know, two out of three games there are going to be weaker opponents. So, you know, I, I do think it's different, but, you know, and I think in a case of a team like LSU, like in that case, it probably is. The team's just not that good. Like they lost more than half of their starters to the NFL. Most of the other ones have opted out. Derek Stingley was in the hospital. So like LSU had basically a brand new lineup out there. So like, yeah, they're probably just not that good. For following me, I asked a question that I think that we've answered before, which is what's your stance on traditional versus boneless wings? I'm a traditional guy and I believe Colin's a boneless guy. That's a fact. And we've already, we've already done our debating for the day. So um, I guess we can move on to OSU alum 05's question, which is, is the rest of the big 10 as bad as it looks on paper? Make a pitch for another big 10 team, keeping the final score within 20 points. Well, my pitch would be that Ohio state and Penn state have played close games like five years in a row. So I would bet on Penn State keeping the score within 20 points, for sure. Uh, even if out the whiteout conditions, I, I don't think that game will be a blowout by any means. I think, I think that'll be a competitive game. I think Ohio State will win, but I think that will be a competitive game. But most of the rest of a big is probably bad. Yeah, I, you know, is the rest of the Big Ten as bad as it looks on paper? Uh, Probably. <laughs> I'm not someone who's been sitting here saying you better look out for all these teams. Like I think Indiana's a good team. I legitimately do. I also don't think Indiana is going to keep it within 20 points of Ohio state. Um, I think in my pitch would be that I think last year's team was better than this year's Ohio state team up and down other than Justin Fields. Cause I just assume Justin Fields will be improved in year two, but I think it had a better defense. I think it had a similar offensive line. I think it had a better running back. I think the receiving core is going to be interesting because, you know, you're either going to have veterans on last year's team or young guys who might be more talented on this year's team. But I, but in all honesty, I would take last year's team over this year's team. And that team uh, trailed Wisconsin in the big 10 championship at halftime and also beat Penn state in the regular season by 11 points. So yes, a team can be really good on paper and still uh, win by, 
<laughs> fewer than 20 points. 20 points is 20 points is a lot of points. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's nine games. Yeah, I think just because Ohio State did that for most of its Big Ten schedule last year doesn't mean we should expect it again this year. I, and you know what's funny? Like, I, I want to go back and look um, throughout the history of, I don't know, recent history, last couple of decades, has a team as thoroughly disposed of the Big Ten as Ohio State did last year? Like, I, I know last year is the most recent thing, but last year – it was every single week that they just killed teams. And, and, you know, Ohio State does that a lot, but I'm not sure it's been every single week the way it was last year. Uh, and I think that that's something to keep in mind is that even though Ohio State has the talent advantage in every single game it plays, weird things happen. That doesn't usually happen. It definitely doesn't usually happen. Next question, second to last question. Does the Big Ten reconsider allowing limited capacity fans at any point this year? Yeah, I got this one. Someone DM'd me this question a few days ago, too. And basically what I told him is the plan as of now is that the Big Ten will not have any fans at games this year. That said, it's 2020. I mean, less than two months ago, the Big Ten said it would not revisit playing a fall season. And now here we are. So I think to guarantee anything in 2020, uh, anything can change. So would I bank on there being fans in Ohio Stadium in November? No. But if other conferences keep doing it and, and, you know, restrictions open up and the Big Ten thinks it can make it happen, could it change its mind? I mean, I think they'd like to get that source of revenue. So uh, I wouldn't rule it out, but as of now, that's not the plan. Yeah, and as you're, in your question, you say, like, will the Big Ten reconsider? I bet the Big Ten's reconsidering right now. Like, I think that that's a constant thing that they're monitoring and seeing whether they can do because there's a lot of money to be made if they actually do that. Um, and they also don't want to be the bad guy there. Uh, they don't want to be the reason why the virus continues to spread. Um, so I think that that's, you know, that's the one thing that they're going to have to, to make sure that they don't do if they, if they do allow fans. And Christina Johnson, our state's president, did make sure to make the point that they're going to be looking at that. And there's going to be a chance that they do reconsider that and, and, and go forward and, and allow at least – know a few thousand fans I don't, I don't even know what it would really look like I mean you heard Gene Smith earlier in the year talking about you know 15,000 20,000 would it even be that many or would it be five or six thousand I really don't know um so there's a lot to think about there I think it'll absolutely be reconsidered if, if I were to be honest like if I if you made me project will the Big Ten at some point this year allow fans I think that my answer would be yes because we're sitting here recording this on September 29th there's a lot of time until the middle of December Yep. Um, so I do think that at some point the Big Ten will allow fans. I don't feel confident in that. That's not me talking to Gene Smith and saying, yeah, you feel pretty confident in this too. That that didn't happen. But um, I don't know. I think there's enough time and enough money to be made and enough other conferences doing it that you can at least see what they do and see the results of that and try and learn what you can. Yeah, and I think – I don't really think anyone ever said there's no chance we're going to have fans here. It was more just that's the starting point. That's what got them to this point where they'd feel comfortable playing football. So I think, you know, if things go well, especially early in the season, I think that could increase their level of comfortability with having fans in the stands at some point this year. Ohio against the world. The final question. Am I crazy to book a hotel room in Miami and the off chance fans are able to attend? How confident are you that Ohio state will be one of the two teams playing for the title? Well, these are two different questions to answer the first question. I don't think you're crazy because most hotel rooms are refundable. So that would be my only point is I would say you're not crazy. Just make sure you can get a refund on that hotel room rate. Because 
I have no idea whether fans will be allowed at a national championship game. I don't know if Ohio State will be in it, but uh, yeah, it's probably not a terrible deal. I I'll, I can tell you just inside baseball, I have booked hotel rooms for all of Ohio State's road games in the Big Ten championship game without having any idea whether I'll be going to any of them right now. But I booked them because I could just cancel them, and I figured I would get the good rates while I could. So I think if you are confident that Ohio State will be there and you, you want to have that chance, I don't think you'd be crazy at all to book a hotel room in Miami. Uh, in regards to the second question, how confident am I? It's a tough question. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm definitely, I definitely feel like Ohio State has a chance. I feel like Ohio State is one of the three best teams in the country. I think how the seating plays out, you know, much like last year, could have an effect on how confident I am that Ohio State actually makes the national championship game. Because I think, I think Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State are cut above everyone else this year. But would I say that I'm confident that Ohio State would beat Clemson or Alabama in a semifinal game? I don't know that I can go with confident. I'm also not saying I'm confident they won't. But I, I don't know that I can get to confident right now. I mean, I haven't even, we haven't even seen Ohio State play yet this year. And I think both of those two teams are really good. So I think it's certainly a possibility, but right now I just couldn't say that I'm confident Ohio state would beat Clemson or Alabama in a semifinal. Yeah. I live in a world where Ohio state, Clemson, and Alabama are the three best teams. And we all know that. So I also expect them to go undefeated, which means they're one, two, and three. So would I be confident if Ohio state is the number one seed that, they make the, the national championship, I probably would be. Because if they're the number one seed, they must have destroyed people and earned that spot. Um, if they're number two or three and they have to play either Clemson or Alabama to get to the national championship, yeah, I don't feel confident. I I, I don't know. I'm probably 50-50 on that right now. I mean, I haven't even seen them play. I have no idea. Um, and a lot of that, you know, I, I – Dan, I feel like this I'm going to have to write about. Just like I feel like this might be more so than ever the most important number one seed to get in college football playoff history. Is there is such a clear top three here that if you're going to be either two or three, you basically have to be you know two national championship worthy teams to to get there. Um, and it's so weird to even talk about that when Ohio State has kicked off. But if we're just looking at what we expect to happen on the field, I think that all of college football expects that these these three teams are at the top. Well, we saw it last year. Like, I think LSU would have won the title anyway. But, I mean, LSU, they were just able to pick apart $1.8 million man Alex Grinch's Oklahoma defense while Ohio State – was only 1.4 back then, Dan. Give him some respect. I know, but I, it's, <laughs> it sounds – it's funnier to say $1.8 million man Alex Grinch. Uh, but Ohio State and Clemson, I mean, they, they played in a, you know, fight to the end. And that's what I expect. I mean, I, my expectation is if two of those three teams meet in the semifinals – it's going to be another great back and forth game that's decided in the fourth quarter. And I agree. I think my, again, without having even seen Ohio state play yet or not knowing much about any other team, my feeling would be that that one, four game could easily be a lopsided game again. So yeah, I think getting the number one seed, I think will be huge this year. And I think unfortunately for Ohio state, I don't think Ohio state's chances of getting the number one seed are great because I think if, if those three teams go undefeated, I think Ohio State will be the number three seed simply based on the fact that Ohio State will have played less games than Clemson and Alabama. I was smiling when you initially said that I think the, you said that you thought that 
LSU would still win the national championship because I was just thinking of our friend Ari Washerman's tweet about the longer this game goes, the more clear it is that Ohio State is the best team in the country, which is honestly one of the greatest tweets that has ever been sent. And to be fair, in my defense, I said before the semifinals that I thought whoever won Clemson, Ohio State was going to win a national championship. So I, this is very much in hindsight. It was after seeing Joe Burrow just absolutely pick apart that Clemson defense that I thought LSU is clearly the best team in the country. But, yeah. I don't even remember what I thought back then because, honestly, that game feels like it took place 73 years ago. Yeah. It was actually nine months ago from Monday because I looked that up when I was writing my Chris Olave story on Tuesday afternoon. Nine months ago. Still one more month to go until we finally get to see another Ohio State football game, but we are moving full speed ahead toward it. So we're going to have a lot more to talk about coming up here these next few weeks as we gear up for that October 24 noon kickoff against Nebraska. So thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays, and we'll talk to you again next week.